causes against the land of Egypt. And so the first thing that happened was Moses went to Pharaoh and God gave Moses a sign to throw his staff on the ground, turn it into a snake. So Moses did that, said, Pharaoh, let Israel go. Pharaoh didn't listen to Moses. And so Moses came back the next day and God turned the water of the Nile River, which was really like the the life source for all Egypt. It's where all Egypt got their water. God turned that into blood. That was the first plague. Pharaoh did not listen. So the next, God sent frogs upon Egypt, so many frogs that the land was filled with them. That didn't persuade Pharaoh. So next, God sent gnats upon the land of Egypt. But still, that did not persuade Pharaoh. So next, God sent flies upon the land of Egypt. That did not persuade Pharaoh. So next, God made all the livestock in Egypt to die. That did not persuade Pharaoh. So next, God sent boils upon man and beast. That did not persuade Pharaoh. And so then we come to the text that we're going to read this morning, the plague of hail and then the plague of locusts. After the plague of locusts comes the plague of darkness, where the Lord made the land completely dark. And then lastly comes a plague that we'll address in the next few weeks, which is the Passover, the killing of the firstborn child, because that really is the most momentous of all the plagues, and Scripture places a special emphasis on that last plague. But this morning, again, we want to look at these first nine plagues and see what is the Lord doing in sending these plagues upon Egypt? What is his purpose in doing this? What can we learn about God, and what can we learn to apply to our own lives as we look at these plagues? So we have about two chapters to read as we read about the hail and the locust. Uh, we'll have four different readers come. And uh, so let me go ahead and invite uh, Moira to come up and begin our reading for us. And then we'll continue from there. Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 to 26. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people, so that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause a very heavy hail to fall, such as has never been seen in Egypt from this day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of Yahweh among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of Yahweh left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and Yahweh sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth, and Yahweh rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. 
very heavy hail, such as never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. Yahweh is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with Yahweh, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to Yahweh. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is Yahweh's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear Yahweh God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in the in bud. But the wheat and the emner, emner were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to Yahweh, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as Yahweh had spoken through Moses. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am Yahweh. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve Yahweh their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve Yahweh your God. But which ones are to go? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to Yahweh. But he said to them, Yahweh be with you, if ever I let you go and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve Yahweh, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land that all the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and Yahweh brought an east wind upon the land, and all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. 
the locusts came over all the land of Egypt and settled over the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts that had ever been seen before, nor will never be seen again. They covered the whole face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruits of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, throughout the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against Yahweh your God and against you. Now therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and please with, plead with Yahweh your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with Yahweh, and Yahweh turned the wind into a very strong west wind which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Well, again, we see simply from the text that we just read, the sort of devastation that came upon the land of Egypt because of these disasters that God sent. Now, on one level, these plagues are very easy to understand, are they not? Even in the text that we just read, we saw that what was going on is that Pharaoh was being disobedient. Pharaoh was not listening to God. He was a proud man who exalted himself up against God. And so what did God do? God punished him. God sent these natural disasters, these plagues, in order to destroy the land of Egypt, in order to humble Pharaoh. Now, if that's all there was to it, then this would be a very straightforward message, right? And the whole passage of the plagues would be very easy to understand. But there is a little more to it than God simply punishing Pharaoh. Is there not? After all, at this time in the world, I'm sure there were many bad kings, many evil empires, and yet God did not strike all of them. He seemed to single out Egypt to strike Egypt. And so why is it that God struck Egypt in particular? Well, the reason in the book of Exodus, we see again, is very clear. The reason why God struck Egypt in particular is because Egypt was keeping as slaves the people of God, the people that God had set his love on, the people that God had made a covenant with, the people that God had promised to protect. Pharaoh was harming those people. And so that's why God brought these plagues upon Egypt, because he wanted to deliver his people. He wanted to rescue them. And so that's kind of the second lens of the second angle to look at the story through. The first thing we see here is the justice of God, God punishing Pharaoh for his pride, his arrogance, for his oppression. The second thing we see is the mercy of God or the love of God and that he wants to rescue his people. He wants to deliver them. And yet, even those two elements cannot fully explain all that happens in the midst of these plagues because we are told over and over again throughout these various plagues that God sends that God did something very strange to Pharaoh. It says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh would not let the people of Israel go. Now, again, this is confusing, right? Because we know that God wants to punish Pharaoh for doing evil. We know that God wants to rescue his people So why is it that God seems to be making it more difficult to do both things? Why is God hardening Pharaoh's heart so that the punishment goes on longer, so that the people are enslaved longer? Well, this gets us to the ultimate purpose 
of this passage, the ultimate purpose of these plagues. And that is that God wants to make himself known. He does not merely want to execute justice in some kind of clean and simple way. He does not merely want to free his people in some kind of clean and simple way. No, he wants to execute justice and he wants to free his people in such a way that people will come to know him, that people will come to see what he is like so that they can worship him, so that they can draw near to him, so that they can praise him. And so those are the three lenses or the three levels through which I want to look at these plagues now, through which I want to look at this passage right now. I want us to see how these plagues show us God's justice, how he punishes evil. And then I want us to see how these plagues show us God's mercy, how he protects his people. And then lastly, I want to see how these plagues show us how God makes himself known, how he delights to be worshipped, how he delights for a people to draw near to him. And I think that when we can see these plagues that God is accomplishing through these three lenses, then I think we ourselves will be able to come to appreciate the God of justice, the God of mercy, and we ourselves will be able to praise him from our own lips. And so let's look at these three themes now as we look at these plagues that the Lord sent upon Egypt. Again, the first thing we see in these plagues is that God, Yahweh, the living God, is a God of justice. Yes, he is also a God of love and a God of mercy, but that love and that mercy are set against this backdrop of justice as we look at these nine plagues this morning. First of all, it's very clear that the plagues that God sends are because of disobedience. They're because Pharaoh did not listen to God. So in the very first plague, in Exodus chapter 7, verse 16, when God turns the Nile to blood, God says, Moses, you shall say to him, Yahweh The God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Okay, Pharaoh did not obey. Pharaoh did not listen to God. This was the whole problem. This is why God sent these disasters, these plagues upon the people. There is the constant refrain after every single plague where it says Pharaoh would not listen. Pharaoh would not obey. You see, if Pharaoh had obeyed, if he had listened to God, the plagues would not have come. If he had freed the people, if he had listened to Yahweh, he would have had peace. But Pharaoh was not obedient to God. And so because God is a God of justice, because he is a God of righteousness, when there is disobedience, when someone does not listen to his voice as they should, someone does not give him the recognition and the honor that he is due, he will bring about punishment. We see that Pharaoh himself recognizes that he has been disobedient in his heart. And so before the plague of hail comes, we read in Exodus 9 verse 27, it says that Pharaoh sent and called to Moses and said to them, this time I have sinned. Yahweh is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. So you see, Pharaoh recognized, even though it was only for a very short time, that he had sinned. 
that he had done wrong and that these plagues that were coming upon Egypt, these disasters that were occurring to them, were indeed deserved because he was not righteous, because he was not good. And that's why God sent the plagues. We also clearly see, if this even needs to be said, but we see that these plagues, these disasters, are indeed the wrath of God, right? This is not some kind of hidden kindness of God to bring about the plagues upon Egypt. No, this is God in his anger, in his anger at sin, at disobedience, pouring out punishment, pouring out sorrow, woe, disease, death, upon the land of Egypt. There is no silver lining to these plagues. This is the unadulterated wrath of God falling upon Egypt. We see the wrath of God displayed in a particular way in these plagues because of how these plagues are couched in terms of creation itself. So Exodus, of course, is part of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It comes right after the book of Genesis. Well, the book of Genesis is where the creation of the world is recorded for us. And in the creation of the world, we see God create specific categories of creatures. He first divides the land from the sea. He divides the heavens from the earth. And then he fills the sea with teeming creatures. He fills the land with swarming creatures and other beasts. And there are many different names given in Genesis for these different aspects of God's creation. Well, what we find here in these plagues, in each one of the plagues, is that some kind of uncreation is taking place. Something that God once had structured, had divided, had made beautiful, had made well, is now being demolished is now coming apart. The wrath of God is, in essence, an uncreation. It is not things being built up and becoming better. It is things falling apart, things being destroyed. This is the wrath of God that is coming upon Egypt. The cattle are dying. The swarming things are swarming more than anyone has ever seen. The water is turning to blood. The heavens and the earth, that separation is being demolished by this hail and this fire that is coming down. And so the beautiful land of Egypt that was so well cultivated, that was so well watered, becomes a wasteland because of the wrath of God. The beautiful creation is being turned upside down. And so in this way, through these plagues, we see the wrath of God is coming against Pharaoh for his great disobedience. Now let me just offer one word of qualification as we look at this wrath of God. I know that those of us who are intimately familiar with the New Testament, intimately familiar with the coming of Jesus Christ, this idea of a God of unadulterated wrath who comes and punishes those who are opposed to him can sometimes seem a little inconsistent with the person of Jesus, right? Who comes in mercy and who comes in love. Indeed, I love the words of Jesus that are recorded for us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, when Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? This is our God as well. He's not just the God who punishes. He's the God who comes and offers rest. And so, how can we helpfully keep together this truth 
that God comes in Jesus Christ as someone who is meek and lowly and gentle. And yet God is someone who pours out wrath upon Pharaoh and upon Pharaoh's servants. Well, over and over in Scripture, we see a sharp distinction made between those who are proud and haughty, those who are in power, those who are in leadership, and those who are humble, those who are oppressed, those who are being punished by others. And so one way to understand the the wrath of God being poured out on Pharaoh is to understand that Pharaoh was a person in power, was he not? He was a king. He was someone who was holding slaves himself. He was someone who in his own heart was proud and exalted, who thought he was equal with God, who thought that God could not touch him, God could not do anything to him. And when God meets people like that... (laughs) When God meets people who are proud, who oppress others, who hate others, who hold slaves, who kill infants, people who are boasting in their might, who want to use other people to please their own ends, when God meets people like that, he has no mercy. He hates that kind of sin. He hates that kind of injustice. And he will crush people who practice those sort of sins. But when God comes to the one who is brokenhearted, to the one who is being oppressed by someone else, to someone who knows the pain of the pain of life and knows that they themselves cannot rescue themselves, cannot fix everything that's wrong, who's broken, there God will come as someone who is merciful, as someone who is kind. And so one way to understand the the wrath of God being poured out upon Pharaoh and upon the land of Egypt is to understand Pharaoh and his servants as those who were proud, as those who were oppressors. And understand that God is near to the slave, he is near to the poor, he is near to the brokenhearted. 2 Samuel 22.28 says this well, it says, You save a humble people but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. Or as the New Testament tells us, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so God is a God of justice. He sees the pride of Pharaoh. He sees the disobedience of Pharaoh. And he comes in justice to punish Pharaoh. But again, simply seeing God as the God of justice cannot explain these plagues that come upon Egypt. Because again, there were many wicked empires across the earth at the time. There were probably empires in the earth at the time that were much more wicked than Egypt was. If you're familiar at all with ancient history, if you read about the Hittites or the Assyrians, they do things to people that are just unspeakable. They're unfathomable unfathomable to us today. They are so horrendous. And yet, God let them exist. God let them flourish for a time. And so what is it about Egypt that makes God come against them? Well, Again, the book of Exodus has already answered this question. Why? Why is God punishing Egypt so severely? Well, we heard very early on in the book of Exodus, Exodus 2, 24 and 25, it says, God heard their groaning. That is the groaning of his people. God heard their groaning. 
And God remembered his covenant. Covenant just means a promised relationship. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So you see, God had already pledged himself to this people. He had said that I will be your God and you will be my people. And these people, the people that God had promised himself to, they were groaning under the weight of their slavery. So God could not just turn a blind eye. God couldn't just ignore them. God couldn't just move on and say, well, these people aren't doing so well. I guess I'll find myself a new people or something like that. No, God is a faithful God. When he promises himself to a people, he will never break that promise. He will remain faithful to them. God also said to Moses in Exodus 4, 22 and 23, Thus says Yahweh, Israel is my firstborn son. And you will go and say to Pharaoh, let my son go that he may serve me. If he refuses to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. A promise that we'll see fulfilled in the coming weeks. But just consider that title that God places upon Israel. That Israel is God's firstborn son. Consider the affection that a good father has for that first child, for that first son that he has. How he wants to see that son flourish, see that son succeed. How he wants to provide for that son in every way, train him up in every way. Make sure that that son's feet are set on solid ground. And this is what God is saying of his people, Israel. They are my firstborn son. I can't just abandon them. I can't just let them become slaves and not do anything about it. No, God loves his firstborn son. He is going to rescue them from oppression. And so, God does that. He brings all these plagues upon Egypt in order to finally free his own child, in order to free the people that he had promised himself to. And maybe even more amazing than that, God does not simply promise to free the people of Israel. He doesn't just say your chains are falling off and now you're free. Now go and do what you like. No, God told Moses when God spoke to Moses in the burning bush. God says, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he was going to bring them to a beautiful place. And even when he brings them to the beautiful place, God says that I will bring this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor. And any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so shall you plunder the Egyptians. So God was going to give his people a beautiful land with much silver and gold and jewelry. He was going to free them on the one hand from slavery, and he was going to cause them to flourish on the other hand in a good and broad land. So again, this is why these plagues are coming upon Egypt. Because Egypt is holding the firstborn son of God. Because Egypt continues to oppress the people of God. And when Egypt does that, they must be stopped because God 
loves his people. And so we can see through these first two lenses, these first two movements, looking at the plagues that have come upon Egypt, that we are to relate to God in two contrasting ways. Ways that maybe sometimes to our heart seem incompatible, but when we see that the God of wrath, the God of punishment, is also the God of mercy, then we should see that they truly are deeply compatible. On the one hand, when we see God as the God of justice, who opposes the proud, who punishes all disobedience, we should fear and we should tremble, should we not? I mean, who among us here is righteous? Who among us here has not been proud in some way, has not thought at some time, I know my own way is best, I'm going to go my own way. And God can try to tell me otherwise, friends can try to tell me otherwise, but I don't care what they say, I'm going to do what I want to do. We've all been like that in the past. And so when we know we've been like that and we encounter this God who is a God of justice, who crushes pride, we should fear and tremble, should we not? What could God do to me if I persisted in this pride? If I do not listen to his voice, how could God punish me? Clearly, if God can bring one of the most powerful nations in the world to its knees, clearly he can bring any of us small individuals to our knees anytime he wants. And so we do fear this God. We tremble before him. But what do we do when we fear this God? And I know many times when we think of fearing something, we think the impulse is to run away, right? I mean, if you were to see a big, scary monster that you were afraid of, you would run the opposite direction, right? Well, when we come to understand the love of God, and when we come to understand the thing that God punishes, then we understand that the last thing we want to do if we fear God is to run away from him, right? Because that's the very thing that brings about God's punishment, is to run from him. And so what do we do instead if we truly fear God, if we fear what he might do to us? Well, we do the only option there is. We cling to God instead. We say, Lord, don't let me be one of those proud people that's opposed to you. Let me be one of those people that you set your love on. Let me be one of those humble and brokenhearted people that you protect, that you watch over. So that these plagues, these curses, they won't come upon me, but they'll be used to protect me. They'll be used to shelter me, just like you sheltered and protected your people, the people of Israel. And so you can see how when we come to Yahweh, when we come to the true and living God, we come trembling with fear because of his vast power to destroy And yet we come clinging to him like a child clings to their dad, saying, Lord, I love you and I trust you. Please shelter me. And when we come in that way, then we no longer have to fear the wrath of God, right? We no longer have to fear him punishing us in some way. We can trust him because we have found shelter under his wings. And so the God, who is the God of justice, in all of his plagues and all of his wrath against Egypt, causes us to tremble in fear. And at the same time, the same God is the God of love and God of mercy, who calls us to cling to him as his people. But again, there is this third lens 
that we must look at these plagues through if we are to truly understand what God is doing here, what is happening. God is not merely punishing Pharaoh. God is not merely rescuing his people. He is also making himself known. And God makes this very clear as we read before the plague of hail in Exodus chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. God himself says to Pharaoh, By now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. In other words, God's saying, I could have killed you a long time ago, and this would have all been over. And then verse 16, But for this purpose I have raised you up, I have raised Pharaoh up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You see, deep down, this is what the Lord is after. He wants to show his justice and his wrath. He wants to show his mercy. But he doesn't want either of those things to come about in some way that makes them look small, that makes them look easy, that makes them look insignificant. No, he wants us to know the glory of his mercy. And if we are to know the glory of his mercy, then we must know the awesome power of his wrath. I mean, after all, how can you be thankful for being rescued? How can you be thankful for being saved if you don't know what you're saved from? If you don't know what you've been spared from? And so God shows his wrath and his power. And in order to show his wrath and his power, he can't just wipe Pharaoh out with a snap of his fingers, even though he could very easily have done that. No, he must, you could even say, artificially strengthen Pharaoh, right? He must make Pharaoh even stronger than Pharaoh could be in Pharaoh's own strength. He must harden Pharaoh's heart in order that his genuine power, his genuine wrath might be shown in order that we might know the beauty and the glory of his mercy, in order to know what we ourselves, what the people of Israel have been rescued from. And so we do have to look at this strange idea of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Again, God says, this is Exodus 4.21, so even before any of the plagues happened, it says that Yahweh said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your, fa- in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Again, just let that sink in for a moment. <laughs> God hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, this should just blow up any idea in our heads of just some simple God of love, right? Or some simple God of wrath. I mean, if God were just kind of some some kind of, you know, affectionate God who was just always really gentle and lovey-dovey, why would he harden Pharaoh's heart so that his people would have to endure longer bondage, so that they would not be let go? On the other hand, if he were just a God of wrath, why would he care to let his people go in the first place? So in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, 
we see that God moves above this simple category of a God of wrath and anger. He moves above the simple category as a God who's just very kind and affectionate. And he moves into this category of a God who is all glorious, a God who is perfect in all of his attributes, who wants to show all of his attributes, who wants to make himself known, who wants to be worshipped. In this series of plagues, in this series of nine plagues that we're covering this morning, the fact that Pharaoh's heart is hardened is repeated 13 times. Sometimes in a plague it's said twice that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Now, two things are very clear about this hardening. The first thing that is clear about this hardening is that the Lord is doing it. That's what we read in Exodus 4.21. Yahweh said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. So this is something that God is doing to Pharaoh. Or you could look in the plagues themselves before the plague of boils in Exodus 9, 12. It says, but Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Okay, so God is doing this to Pharaoh. He is making Pharaoh more proud, more obstinate. God is raising Pharaoh up to show his power. But lest we think that God is somehow unfair or unjust to Pharaoh, we see that this is also very much the action of Pharaoh's heart. So, before the plague of flies in Exodus 8.32, it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. And we see that Pharaoh is entirely culpable. He's entirely responsible for the hardness of his heart. So, Exodus 9.34, before the plague of hail, When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And so we have this somewhat mysterious reality that on the one hand, God himself is hardening Pharaoh's heart so that he can show his power. And on the other hand, it seems that this hardening by God is in no way contrary to Pharaoh's wishes or contrary to Pharaoh's will. Rather, Pharaoh is very much in agreement that he wants a very hard heart. And so when God hardens Pharaoh's heart, he is cooperating with the will of Pharaoh. Pharaoh himself is hardening his heart. And the result is someone that is amazingly obstinate, that is amazingly blind to the realities of the punishment, to the realities of the wrath that Egypt is being dealt by Yahweh. And so the main lesson we get is this. The main purpose for us, the main teaching for us is that God's purpose in your life is not simply to free you. God's purpose in your life is not simply to make your life better, to improve things for you. God's purpose for you is to bring you into personal knowledge of himself. God's purpose for you is to bring you into personal knowledge of himself. And sometimes that will mean making your life harder. Because it is in the difficulty that God means to display something of his character, something of his attributes, something of his reality that he could not display if he simply gave you an easy life. If he simply delivered you quickly in whatever way it is that you're asking for or wishing for. And what this means, one level deeper now, is that knowing God, 
knowing God is better than prosperity. Knowing God is better than deliverance. It's better than health. It's better than wealth. It's better than a good marriage, good children. It's better than anything that this world could afford. You see, if it were not better, God would not have done it. God is not just some kind of grandiose God full of himself, not really caring what happens with people. No, he knew that in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, it was going to be worse for Pharaoh. He knew in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart that it was going to be more difficult for his people for a longer time. But this purpose that God had, that his power would be proclaimed, that he would be more fully known, was worth the pain that Pharaoh experienced. It was worth the pain that the people of Israel experienced because now they can know the all-glorious God. Now they can know the one in whose image they were created. Now they can know the one that they were made for and they can know him fully. Not just a little bit. They don't just know some caricature of God. No, they know God now in his full majesty, in his full glory, in his full power. And beloved, that is the best thing that our hearts could ever have. That is the thing that every person in this room, that is the thing that your heart aches for, is to know this God, to know a God of glory and a God of power. And God could give you every good thing on this earth. He could give you all the money you want, all the pleasure you want, all the relationships you want. And if you did not know a God of glory and a God of majesty and a God of wonder, you would be empty. You would be broken. You would be sad. I mean, how many testimonies do we need of wealthy Wall Street bankers trying to commit suicide because their own happiness They're so unhappy, even though they live on top of the world. We are not merely made for earthly pleasure, for earthly enjoyment. We are made to know God. And this is why God would do something like harden Pharaoh's heart. So that he could show the full range of his power. The full exertion of his justice, of his wrath so that we could see the full measure of his mercy, of his grace poured out on his people. And when we see this, we see the reality of the living God, and we can delight in him, and we can know him. We can be satisfied in him because we see just how good he is. And so, God does this glorious work of making a strong person like Pharaoh to bear the brunt of his wrath in order that he might show the fullness of his mercy in order that we ourselves might know him. Now, beloved, there is good news for us here this morning. We don't merely have to look back at what God did to Pharaoh and how God rescued Egypt in order to experience the power of God, the justice of God, in order to experience the mercy of God. 
God has placed me here this morning. And if you're a Christian, he's placed you wherever you are this morning to proclaim good news of God's justice being executed and God's liberation being won through Jesus Christ. The justice of God and the mercy of God are not simply something displayed in a faraway land a long time ago. No, the justice of God and the mercy of God are something that we can experience here this morning. You see, we recognize that we all were at one time held captive by a strong man. Held captive by the devil himself. Held captive in our sin, unable to do right and under the justified wrath of God. But you see, God, instead of punishing us for our sin, instead of holding us accountable, instead of bringing his wrath down upon us, chose instead to bring his wrath down upon Satan himself and to crush his power. This God did by sending his son. God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, even though he never sinned, even though he did not deserve any of the wrath of God, he was crushed in our place. The plagues that God had thrown down upon Pharaoh in Egypt, he threw down upon himself in the person of his son in order that our sins, in order that the wrath that we deserve might already be punished. Because if that wrath has already come, if we have already been punished for our sins, then that means that we are now under the shelter of his wings. That means we now find mercy at his side. And so we look at the wrath of God as it was poured out on Egypt. We look at the wrath of God as it was poured out on the cross upon Jesus Christ, and we see that that's what we deserve, but that is not what we received. Instead, we received the mercy of God, the eternal faithfulness of God, the promise of God that he will never leave us, that he will be our God, that we will be his people. And therefore we can cling to him. And when we cling to him in this way, against the backdrop of the wrath that he has executed on Jesus Christ, then we can come to fully rejoice in him. We can come to celebrate his goodness. We can come to know him as the good and living God who has not crushed us, his enemies, but has instead crushed Satan and crushed his own son, that we ourselves might be free and might know mercy. And when we know God's mercy, when we truly know God's mercy, when we see it against the backdrop of his wrath and his justice, then our hearts leap for joy. Then our tongues sing for joy. Beloved, have you ever truly realized before what you were saved from? Or if you're here this morning and you're not saved, do you realize the wrath of God that is arrayed against you and the offer that God gives in Jesus Christ that if you just humble yourself now, if you will turn from your pride and say, Lord, I will follow you, I will obey you, do you realize the offer that is there to be saved forever and ever and to know the mercy of God? I mean, this is why when we come together on Sundays, this is the whole reason why we sing. Because we've been free. Because we're not under the wrath of God. It gives so much joy in our hearts. It's supposed to give so much joy in our hearts that it causes us to sing, that it causes us to dance. It causes us to celebrate. 
Because the wrath of God is amazing. But the mercy of God is so much more amazing than his wrath that we can come to know this God of justice and of mercy. And so if you're here this morning and you've already come to know this God of justice and mercy, would you press into him all the more? Remember your sins and the rebellion that you had against him, that he forgave you of, that he had mercy on you for. And if you're here this morning and you've never received Christ, you've never known the freedom that comes from having all of your sins punished, not in yourself, but in Jesus Christ. And again, come to him this morning. Cast your sins upon Jesus and promise to live for him and you will know the God who can satisfy your soul. Would you go to the Lord with me now in prayer? Heavenly Father, we praise you for truly being a God of both justice and mercy. And for not simply being a God of small justice, a God of small mercy, but for being a God of enormous justice and enormous mercy. We thank you, Lord, for saving us, for not letting your wrath fall upon us, but for instead letting your wrath fall upon your Son in order that we might know your love and your mercy forever and ever. Lord, make us a people who delight in your mercy, I pray. Lord, as we come to you now, we come to you with prayers of confession. We come to you with prayers of intercession on behalf of the world around us. And so, Lord, would you hear us as we pray?